it sounds silly at the time, but I was almost afraid to ask for it. But one thing I've learned over the years, if you don't ask, no one is going to give it to you. So um, I sort of went in there and I was like, you know, this is really what I would like to do. And he was overwhelmingly kind and supportive. That's Dr. Madeline Fields, a neurologist and epileptologist. We're going to learn about a special skill set that she has that very few people in this world possess. But as you can tell by the intro, we're going to talk a bit more than just medicine. So let's cue the intro. Hello, and welcome to Health Careers with Dr. Martin, where we have deep, personalized, and eye-opening conversations with various people in healthcare. We learn what it's really like to work in different health careers from people who are living it today. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin, and welcome. Our guest on this episode is Dr. Madeline Fields. She is a neurologist and epileptologist. She works at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. She received her Bachelor of Science degree at the SUNY Binghamton and went on to Turo College to get a Master of Science degree in Biological Sciences. She also got her MD degree at Technion Israel Institute of Technology. After that, she did her postdoctoral training at Albert Einstein College of Medicine for internship. She went on to Mount Sinai School of Medicine for her neurology residency and completed her training at NYU, where she did a fellowship in neurophysiology. She is board certified in neurology, clinical neurophysiology, and epilepsy. During her training and during her career, she has earned many awards. She has multiple posters and abstract presentations, published several articles in reputable medical journals, and written a number of chapters for various books. She's a frequent lecturer, especially as it relates to epilepsy. She also has held several positions, such as Fellowship Program Director for Neurophysiology and Neurology Residency Application Committee Member. Dr. Madeline Fields is an expert in her field. She's a wonderful person, and it's just a pleasure to have her on this podcast. She is an academic physician who specializes in neurology and epileptology. So let's get to meet her. Well, hello. Hello. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Dr. Fields. I am very happy you are here with us today. How are you? I am terrific, and thank you so much for inviting me. I am honored to be here. Well, thank you. Uh, it is a pleasure to hear you and, and see you and be part of this with you. Um, for our listeners, Dr. Fields and I have, and I have gotten to um, know each other over the last year because she was caring for a dear friend of mine. And uh, I also happened to be present for at least one of those appointments with that friend. And I can personally vouch that if I ever need a neurologist, you would be at the top of my list. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. But there's so much I want to cover with you. Um, yes. As, as I found that you wear a number of hats and titles and have a number of experiences that I'm, I'm very interested in. But let's start with someone that doesn't know you. What kind of doctor do you tell them that you are? I say neurologist. Um, to young people, I say brain doctor. Um, oh. Not a surgeon, but a brain doctor. Um, 
Yeah, I usually say neurologist who specializes in seizure disorders. For some people, they don't know what a neurologist actually is, sure. Dr. Fields, or even you know um, seizures, or even what an epileptologist is. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I was I when I met you about a year ago, I really didn't know much about epileptology as well. So, can you please describe what a neurologist is and an epileptologist is? Sure. So. Um, a neurologist isn't really just a brain doctor because it cares for the whole neurological system, which is the brain, the spinal cord, the peripheral nerves. So what helps us to, in my opinion, um, be who we are and how we feel, how we take in the environment and how we express ourselves in that environment um, and caring for that system is what a neurologist does. Um, mm -hmm. So all the different parts from the head to the toes um, is, is a neurologist. So from headache, stroke, um, neuropathies to, you know, other kinds of neurological conditions um, like multiple sclerosis, um, cancers that affect the brain. So a neurologist helps to take care of all of those things. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting, interesting job. And an epileptologist mm -hmm. or a seizure doctor is one that subspecializes just in people who have a little too much electricity or seizures. Um, and of course, you know, most seizures, um, particularly in adults are, are not the big convulsions that you see on TV. Sometimes they can be much more subtle, um, but those are the types of things that I do specifically. So to be an epileptologist, mm -hmm. which is a fancy word for seizure expert, mm -hmm. I guess. Is exactly. that one some way? Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I had to learn how to say those uh, syllables together. <laughs> it took me a while. But as an epileptologist, do you have to be a neurologist to be one? Yes. But you can't be an epileptologist and not be a neurologist. Correct, which is not always the case for other types of medical fields. In other words, um, like, for example, a pain doctor, someone who just takes care of people who have a lot of physical pain can be an anesthesiologist, can mm -hmm. be a neurologist, can be um, a, a, a physiatrist or a rehab doctor that does, you know, that specializes in those sorts of things. But specifically to be an epileptologist and, and a lot of the subspecialties, all, not all, but most in right. neurology, you have to be a neurologist first. And when you, um, when you, uh, when you can, as a neurologist, you can choose to go into other specialties as well besides epileptology? Absolutely. What are those other options for, to, for people that are thinking about neurology but want to maybe go into something else besides, you know, seizure, being a seizure expert here? Sure. So a lot of people after they finish residency um, just become general neurologists. Um, it was much more common years and years ago, but still even today, people can become um, neurohospitalists, oh. which are neurologists that just take care of patients in the hospital. So when they come in um, 
as a, you know, they would be a consultant for someone who gets admitted to a different service like medicine or surgery if they have a neurological complaint. Um, While they're in the hospital, a neuro hospitalist would go and see them. Um, That is a subspecialty. I think you can actually get fellowship training as a neuro hospitalist, but um, you can also apply for that job without any fellowship training. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be a general neurologist, you don't have to do any specialty training. But then after neurology, you can decide to do a fellowship. And um, those include things that I mentioned, like stroke, or headache, or multiple sclerosis. And sometimes it's not called MS, it's um, like neuroimmunology. Um, So when the immune system fights the neurologic system. Um, you can become a peripheral neurologist, uh, which is another, it's a neurophysiologist that deals with everything basically from the neck down. I always think of myself, myself as a central neurologist from the okay. neck up. Um, and they can deal with conditions such as Guillain-Barre, all sorts of neurological conditions, myasthenia gravis. Um, there are, you can do neuroinfectious diseases. So um, sometimes people will get an infectious disease and it will affect their nervous system. And those are neurologists that deal with the complications um, from infectious diseases. Um, let's see, I'm sure I'm missing a couple. There's, <laughs> there's a lot. A great many. <laughs> yes. Yes, there's, you could also become a strokeologist, right? So a stroke really? doctor. And even off of that, there is a subspecialty called interventional um, neurology, where um, oftentimes people will do some training um, in stroke, and then they learn to become an interventionalist, which is actually very right. procedure-based, doing yes. at, from anesthesia, you're you would know, you know, being in the OR, mm-hmm. they can um, retrieve clots from stroke and do angiograms and they do a lot more invasive procedures. Oh, and I forgot neurointensivist. That's another uh, subspecialty. Yes. So people who um, work in the ICU, but specifically neuro ICU and, and who come out of surgery for various um brain issues, the neurointensivists, they deal with all the ventilators and with all the complications and recovery from from surgery or from complications from just neurology. Yeah. So you can take from neurology as a, uh, you can obviously work as a neurologist and, and have a career as such, but you can definitely branch out into many different facets yes. of medicine that can take you to different places within the healthcare system, it sounds like. Totally. So as an epileptologist, what can you describe kind of what your typical day is when you um, when you're taking care of those kind of patients? Sure. So my job um, entails a bit of inpatient work and outpatient work. Mm -hmm. Um, So a typical day um, would be I would wake up in the morning (laughs) Uh, head on into work, Um, maybe try to exercise before, maybe not. Um, But then uh, see, uh, usually 
see the inpatient work comes in the morning. So from I get into work, I would read some EEGs, usually with a fellow. And an EEG um, is what, Dr. Fields? Oh, thank you for stopping. So an EEG stands for electroencephalogram. So most people are familiar with EKG, right. which is, um, you know, looking at the electricity that naturally comes off of the heart. Correct. Um, yep. And an EEG does the same thing. It just magnifies the brain waves by a million times. Hmm. Um, and so I'd sit in the morning with a cup of coffee and a fellow and some EEGs and just read um, the inpatient studies. So patients who had come in either with a seizure or to rule out for a seizure and who were connected to this machine for um, 24, 48, 72 hours or more um, and read their overnight study and then go and round on them. So go and see them in the hospital with the neurologists or the intensivists. Okay. see how they're doing, uh, see how they're feeling, help to manage their medications um, while they're in the hospital. And then the medical team would continue or the neurology team would continue to care for those patients during the day. And then I usually head off to clinic in the afternoon. And my clinic um, consists of seeing patients of all ages, um, So even young children all the way to very elderly patients? Yes. So on a given day, I might see a three-year-old and a 90-year-old and everybody in between. What's the usual history of some of these patients or even an example of a patient that you actually saw recently? So let's see. Um, What I saw today. Um, So... Sometimes people come to see me for a first-time seizure or uh, what we say like a rule-out seizure. They may have had an episode um, that was strange um, or weird um, or something more dramatic where they um, convulsed and lost consciousness. And um, or just lost consciousness, and they want to know. They may have told their, their primary care physician who then said, you know what? You need to make sure this isn't a seizure. Go see a seizure specialist. Um, sometimes just the same patient might get referred to a general neurologist in their outpatient practice. Um, but that may be one type of patient that I would see. So a first-time episode that where someone lost consciousness and they may have shook during the episode. Um, another type of patient is someone um, who is has a history of seizures and has been tried on many medications and has continued to have seizures through those medications. And they come to someone like me um, because I work at a center that has access to monitoring and a neurosurgeon if necessary and a nutritionist who could put them on a particular diet that's good for seizures and what, what's known as a comprehensive epilepsy center. Right, right, at Mount Sinai Hospital, which is where you work. Correct. Is there a particular um, patient that you took care of that left impression on you that uh, especially someone in... Uh, that has epilepsy? So I can honestly say that every person leaves an impression on me. Um, it's, it is a, it is a job. I think it, it speaks to medicine probably in general where there, 
I get the, I have the honor of being able to listen to um, people's stories and every story leaves an impression on me and, and helps me to learn and um, really grow from as a clinician. Um, but I, I can give an example of um, a, a case of a woman um, who, mm-hmm had been seen um, at an at, at a different clinic for many years and was seen by many different physicians who kind of cycled through that clinic um, and was put on medication but I had a hard time uh, kind of bonding with any one clinician just because of the frequent turnover and so really had a very difficult time sticking with her medication. Mm-hmm. Um, she had come to see me several years ago and um, over time, we built up a relationship and a trust. And she eventually underwent um, epilepsy surgery, uh, where she had a device placed um, in her head mm-hmm. that helps to control the seizures. And she's, you know, it's it's a relationship. It's you know, it's had its ups and its downs. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's a she among all my very special ladies, she um, more recently has been able to have a job, which she was never able to have before. Uh, she couldn't have a job because she, of her condition? Correct. correct. That must be very depressing for some patients. Absolutely. Absolutely. For some patients, it's debilitating. Um, just the fear of having a seizure at an unpredictable um Time, the unpredictability of it is is one of the things that makes it so daunting um, and mm-hmm. so debilitating. And so in this particular woman, she was never able to have a job because her seizures were so frequent. But with better control, she was able to get a job and, um, and work, and which uh, afforded her um, some just like, you know, to, the ability to buy her kids presents and things that she couldn't really do before. Um, which was a wonderful thing to experience um, and 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 be a part of. So, yeah. What, is there any particular part of your job as a neurologist or epileptologist that you would say is your favorite part? So the patients are my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. um, Why I, is that? I truly enjoy um, hearing from them and um, working with them um, and and trying to make it so that what I do falls into the as background noise into their lives and is not at the forefront, which it is certain most certainly um, at the onset of the illness, um, which I can't say for everyone. It's not true, but. Um, the ability to to watch that and to continue to work toward that um, with every patient I see is um, is something I that that ke- that keeps me going and and why I do all the the other things that kind of dabble in the the clinical research part and all that stuff is to tr- really try to think about and come up with ways to make it so that um, the thing that I do goes goes into the back. <laughs> I've never heard it put that way, Dr. Fields. That's very, I find that very intriguing, that perspective. I mean, obviously, 
Um, some some people like to make sure people know that they took care of a patient. Um, and your your approach is that you know I help take care of someone, and I may need to take care of them for a while, but that you are the background, as you said, to yeah. to their life. That's very. I think that's pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything about your job and your career um, that maybe is a little bit on the mundane part or not very exciting part that um, that is just part and parcel to what you do, unique to maybe your specialty? Um. So I don't think it's unique to my specialty, but I hate making a schedule. That's <laughs> my least favorite part. Um, but it's, you know, some of the administrative duties, it's, it's mm-hmm. something I'm not good at. And so I think that um, I tend not to gravitate toward it. But Let me make a schedule. <laughs> like be in charge of, you know, who is where and when and on call and all uh, that sort of, all those sorts of things. Um, when people want vacation, <laughs> when they, when they administrative, duties. administrative duties, administrative duties. And it's not because I, I, I'm trying to look at it these days as a challenge um, and not as something like the thorn in my side, but right. yeah, it's, so there, it comes with it, you know, some of these administrative duties and that are, um, that are difficult. And I think, um, it helps me to be a try to be a better organizer um, right. and timekeeper and things that are are more challenging for me and my personality in general. But um, those sorts of things, um, when it works, it's wonderful. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, IT issues not my favorite. Are there any unique perks that maybe the typical person may not know about uh, your career? So one of the reasons I became a seizure doctor is um, my one of my mentors um, had this wonderful office space. And when I was a resident, a neurology resident, kind of running around and checking on this and checking on that, I would run into his office to see what an EEG showed. And he would be sitting there drinking his coffee, listening to NPR. <laughs> and I was like, gosh. That is amazing, and I need that job. Oh, really? Um, yes. Um, and it is not exactly what I do every day, but there are moments where the you know the ability to kind of sit and and interpret um, a study, all these squiggly lines, to be able right. to do something and make sense of something that seems so wild um, is is feels good. It, 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 it feels nice to be able to, to make sense of it and to, as a result of that, know what to do with it to a certain extent, how to treat it. You know, EEGs, um, you know, I'm a physician, but EEGs are foreign language to me. And it's a, it's a very unique skill set. Would you agree that very few people in this world have that you need specialized training for? You know, a lot of us are trained um, uh, to read an EKG, but an EEG is, I look at it, like you said, there's just a lot of squiggly lines. And so you were you were inspired by, it sounds like you also, you also, you also were inspired by this unique skill mm-hmm. and that was somewhat attracted to you as well? Yes, it, it, 
true. That is true. And I, I think this, this idea that um, you learn about the function of the brain, which is who we are, we, you can really learn about who we are as people through dysfunction. So when things don't work, um, and luckily in seizures, it's temporarily. So the brain has a momentary dysfunction, and then you can learn so much about um, human beings that way and ourselves that way. Um, and through this, um, and through electricity, I didn't come at it from an engineering background, which I think a certain number of people do, mm-hmm. but um, kind of liking circuitry, and which is what an EEG is. But right. it is um, the interpretation of something which seems enigmatic is is an interesting task, and 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 something that naturally sort of comes out of the the body. Um, to be able to see it and, and make sense of it is, is, is an interesting job. Are there any particular skills or qualities or even a certain mindset that you think um, your colleagues in your career best flourish? So attention to detail, I think, helps. Mm. Um, it helps to make a, It doesn't mean you have to have it, but I think it does help with um, – with interpretation and with reporting of the EEG and in, in taking care of the patients and not EEG in general, but particular to what I do, I always, it, to maybe not necessarily medicine in general, but to neurology and epileptology, really listening to the patients, um, being a good listener. Um, Cause people usually tell you the story. It's just, you have to hear it, be able to hear it. Um, so uh, being a good listener and attention to detail, I think, are helpful characteristics to have. How did you even get into epileptology in the first place? I, I knew myself that I I like inpatient work and outpatient work. Okay. Um, so I think that combination of being able to sit in a clinic and see patients, but also to be able to take care of patients when they're in the hospital um, and when they come in electively, as well as when they come in um, urgently and um, sort of intensively. So being able to take care of people when they're having seizures that are unrelenting and maybe even resulting in being in a coma. So I think all stages um, of the spectrum, just like all ages, it's there's something very... Um, nice about being able to take care of very healthy people and very sick people and inpatients and outpatients. So I think that, that mix, that mashup, just being able to kind of, um, mix it up and, and change the focus depending upon, um, where I'm at in my career. But so far I've always kind of done the same thing as just a mix up of it all keeps it very interesting. What is your um, would you say you have pretty is your work life balance as a neurologist and epileptologist pretty good are you uh, is it your job require you a lot of sleepless nights your what is what is your your work life balance is for people that might be interested in this career how would you describe it so it's a work in progress it's <laughs> <laughs> just so sad because I've been doing it for so long um, it's I'm a mom. I have right. three kids. Um, right now, things are on have been turned upside down. But um, I think that 
they're making the time for things is or creating a time is a skill um and and doing it well um is also uh, it, it skills I'm I'm looking to develop better mm-hmm. um and so I think that sleep sometimes does get sacrificed as a result of that but um I there there hasn't been a night that I have been up all night and not for many, many years. Um, so there, it, it is a balance, um, that I'm still working on, but it's, it's, I do have time to really enjoy my family. Um, and I, my, my eldest daughter, who's 12, who was totally repulsed by medicine for so many years, just started watching Grey's Anatomy and now decided that she wants to be a doctor, which I don't know if it's like a good thing. It <laughs> <laughs> um, doesn't truly represent what's going on in the real world, does it? <laughs> I hope talk she to her. She should talk to her mom first. I don't know. Listen to your podcasts, maybe. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have her tune maybe, in. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but it's. Um, but I have been able to really, I, I you know, I'm doing it. I don't know if I'm doing it well. <laughs> I do have, there is a life work thing going on uh, here. So, well, it's yeah. not easy as a as a woman, as a physician, uh, as a mother, and and a and a spouse. You know, it's yeah. not easy to balance all those demands, and especially with someone that, with a very unique skill set like you have. Um, I would imagine that would be sometimes challenging yes um no definitely i so when i started out i was actually really fortunate um to have met um a colleague who was in a very similar situation to me and um had young kids and what and we really basically job shared in the very very beginning so when we both had young kids, she would work three days, I would work three days, and we would work every other weekend. Oh. And we would split it. So um, doing it, being in it with someone who was in a similar situation um, was really, really got me through those early years um, of work. Um, and being able, it didn't hurt to, you know, be able to get up really, really early in the morning before life gets started, right. um, and get some things done, um, before then, which is, you know, kind of how things are now in the wee hours of the morning or in the late hours of the night. But, um, but up until we did that for, for many years. And then after a while, things got busier, our kids got bigger and, um, it was, you know, it was always a full-time job, but working the weekends and the weekdays and kind of splitting it up, but we did get to spend time at home with our kids so that I feel really fortunate to have had that early on. Well, that's great. I think that's a great story. Thanks for sharing. No, absolutely. I really also had a, an incredibly supportive, um, chairperson at the time. And I, I, it sounds silly at the time, but I was almost afraid to ask for it. But one thing I've learned over the years, if you don't ask, no one is going to give it to you. So um, I sort of went in there and I was like, you know, this is really what I would like to do. And he was overwhelmingly kind and supportive. He was like, oh, that sounds terrific. He's like, I couldn't have even imagined what my kids would have been like had my wife not been home. So, you know, people really understand it. I mean, he was a man um, and he he really got it. Um and so it, 
yeah, it, things, anything is really possible. I wouldn't let the idea of, you know, having a family and, um, a life outside of medicine preclude a career in it just because I think there are many, many versions of how this job and this life can play out. Um, I know other colleagues who, you know, did more research early on. So they would have a very regulated nine to five schedule, no calls, no weekends. So there's, there's ways to do it or had clinics, you know, three days of clinics a week, just packed it in. So different iterations for sure. Dr. Fields, I want to get to how you got even into neurology. Was this something that you wanted to do when you were a a child? Did you want to be a doctor when you were, you know, in high school? I don't, thinking back, I don't think I knew necessarily what I wanted to be. And when I got into college, I wanted to be almost everything that whatever subject I was taking and liked at the time, I was like, Oh, I'm going to do that. (laughs) Um, But I did go in with some sense of this as a possibility. Um, and a neurologist, you mean? Not a neurologist, just as a doctor. Okay. So I, 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 I did like science, um, and I, 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 my father was a dentist, um, mm-hmm. and he had been a, a big fan of medical careers growing up, and he, I you see. know, so he he was a proponent of just kind of keeping your options open, um, and and I, you know, I kind of appreciate that, but not everybody has that. Um, and I changed my mind 50 times when I was in college, but I did, (laughs) (laughs) I I really did. Only 50. Only 50. Only 50. (laughs) Um, yeah. And the neurology came only in the neurology part came in, um, medical school. I, I had a teacher who could draw the brain and the spinal cord. Um, he was ambidextrous with both his right and left hand at the same time. And at like, the, so he's drawing with two hands <laughs> on the chalkboard. Exactly. The brain and the spinal column and all, and all the uh, other accessories. Exactly. exactly. Oh I mean, it was, he took half the time as it would any other human being. And I was like, wow, if, if I become a neurologist, can, I'm gonna, I bet I could do that too. You know, like that obviously. That was your first first idea that you might be a neurologist because of this this person this yes it, really? it was just awesome and and so that yeah I, I i i loved what he said it was it was so interesting to me and he was a very interesting character so um that really helped yeah yeah <laughs> even before i did the clinical stuff i had this idea that that's what i would do um yeah reflecting back is there anything that you would do differently i might have gone and gotten my i dream of this sometimes have having gotten my phd <laughs> really yes um <laughs> I really more school more school more school um I, I, it's but phd in what I, like an md phd in in some field of neurology I think, you know, in specific to me now would be epileptology, of course, or just some, you know. Um, but what would a PhD allow you to do or or provide you that, that you don't think you would, you would have gotten just as an MD? So as a PhD, you definitely, and, and I do have colleagues who are not MD PhDs who do get to li- live a life of an MD PhD, which means that. 
um, to some extent, they get protected time for research. So, mm-hmm. um, and maybe not now, um, but you know, maybe when I'm like 70 and I still want to work, but probably shouldn't. I, I, I could probably, it'd be nice to go to a lab somewhere where no one can find me. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think that knowledge and that education does help um, one to critically think about. Um, research, which is, it's like a little, you know, my hobby, but it, 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 you know, have a lab or, you know, be able to kind of test hypotheses, um, Mm. not by, you know, necessarily looking up other people's work, but by doing your own. Um, and I mean, I mainly do clinical research and, and, and that it is extraordinarily rewarding, but I guess if I wanted to get more down to um, the nuts and bolts of how things work, uh, a PhD would help with that. I have a lot of colleagues now who, um, while they're practicing clinicians, they go and they get their master's um, just to be able to critically look at um, a manuscript and say why it is junk or if it's fantastic, um, to be able to have a sense of statistics and things that I think are useful when you're reading um, those sorts of things back in the day weren't, you know, necessarily required. But so sometimes like a just even a master's or a PhD, are, I think can can be a, a wonderful way to complement um, what you're doing um, at some point in your career. Um, but usually very early on, they, you know, people who do have their PhD do a ton of tend to do 80 percent research and 20% clinical, which is not something I was interested in at the time. Right. I think that as I get older and grayer, yeah. <laughs> well, just older, maybe not grayer, <laughs> but definitely older. Right, right, die. <laughs> what resources do you recommend for someone that might be interested in learning more about your career? Oh, it's such a good question. So your podcast series <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so, it, it, I, I, you know, you, it, what you're doing is kind of incredible because I don't think I had anything remotely like this. I, when I was a college student, I made a point to volunteer in one of the local physicians' offices. Um, so I would just, I called up a bunch and I, you know, I said, Hey, can I kind of see what your, what your day is like, what your life is like to get a sense of, of what that was. I, you know, I do have a bunch of some high school students even, um, and definitely some college students who reach out to me, uh, via email or, um, you know, via a colleague, um, that knows them. So there are, the associations that I am familiar with, so the American Academy of Neurology, AAN, or the American Neurological Association, the ANA, um, are two wonderful organizations um, that are the mainstays of neurological research and neurology in general. Um, they're, they're certainly more geared um, toward fellows and residents and attendings, but um, if just to kind of get a sense of what's out there, I mean, I, I, I think that probably everyone over the course of their lives will um, certainly have someone who is affected by a neurological illness, which reminds mm. me of another subspecialty, which is cognitive neurology, um, 
which is, of course, memory disorders, um, like, you know, people who have Alzheimer's or frontal lobe dementia, Mm -hmm. um, memory problems. So people um, either themselves with headaches or um, family members with neurological conditions. And I think um, each of the subspecialties of neurology do have their own organization, like the American Headache Association. For me, it's the American Epilepsy Society. So even each of our um, subspecialties have a, a subspecialty organization. There is at Mount Sinai, though, um, once a year, there is a brain fair that is run by oh. the Friedman Brain Organization, uh, Friedman Brain Institute, the FBI, um, which is a part of Sinai, <laughs> um, the Friedman Brain part, but not the FBI. Um, <laughs> and they they have a wonderful brain fair where they have like a real live brain that you can kind of walk through. Really? Yeah, um, they they they. I think the neurosurgeons bring out their 3D printer and they get, you know, the the brains that you can hold. And we do an EEG on some of the students as they come by. So, and that is geared toward high school students. That's fast. That's great. Yes. And, and that. What time of the, what part of the year is that usually? (sighs) That's a good question. Also, I feel like in the spring or the fall, fall, let's go with fall, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's something I could Google right now, but I won't. Um, but it, it is something that, that takes place every year and is a wonderful opportunity. And that is specifically geared toward high school students um, to try to get an interest in the brain. How has your industry changed from what it was pre-COVID, say January and before, mm-hmm. to what it is now Um and, and what changes and challenges in your career do you foresee in one, three, ten years from now, Be, just in your career? So what what we're doing a lot of now, which we essentially did um, little to none of before, is these video visits um, where, you know, almost it's, it's through a through a you know, HIPAA-secure uh, chat, but we right. we have visits with both new and um, and, and established patients, uh, which is has been really wonderful in some ways. You know, just patients who wouldn't even have access before or would miss appointments due to various reasons. We get to really (laughs) pin down and see um, how they're doing and communicate with them in a way that um, we didn't before. Um, And that has been really wonderful in some respects. So that the pandemic has certainly allowed us to deliver medical care um, in a different way that is accessible to a, a number of people. Dr. Fields, is there any uh, parting thoughts for um, students with, or even just anybody interested in your career? Going back to the changing my the idea of when I wanted to be 50 times, I think yeah. that... <laughs> the 50, 50th time. The 50th time. So uh, it was the charm. I think... The idea that the, not just the idea, the ability to, um, so I do get to be the English major. So I do get to write um, through my hobby of research. So I do get to be 
um, the scientist by, you know, kind of looking at data and, and uh-huh. being able to analyze it. I do get to be the doctor. I do get to have um, that patient contact that um, is, a, is a wonderful thing. I do get to be the teacher. Um, I have medical students and fellows. And so I think my job has afforded me um, those 50 jobs or those 50, <laughs> those 50 ideas. Um, and, and it does keep changing. And I think that ability to um, morph to some extent um, what I do as a neurologist, it really, I get to work with neurosurgeons. I get to go into the OR, but you know, I don't, I don't have to do the cutting. <laughs> I get to kind of, to see and be a part of um, so many different, um, or what might be thought of as, you know, independent or, you know, separate jobs every day. And I, I think my parting thought is that it's, um, it, it is a, it is an honor to have this job. And um, it's got a multitude of facets, which make it fascinating. And um, it, it, it's a, it's a really good way to wake up every morning. Um, it's a good life. Wow. So that was Dr. Madeline Fields, a neurologist and epileptologist that works at Mount Sinai Hospital. If you want to reach out to her, you can reach her at her work email, Madeline Fields, sorry, madeline.fields at mssm.edu. That's M-A-D-E-L-I-N-E dot F-I-E-L-D-S at M, as in Mary, S-S-M, as in Mary, dot E-D-U. If you haven't noticed, a number of people have an affiliation or work for Mount Sinai Hospital, such as Dr. Malin Fields. And that's because I used to work for Mount Sinai for many years, almost 11 years. And so right now, a lot of people, great people, happen to work in Mount Sinai. I'm just fortunate that they are on this podcast and I've been able to get to know them. So some other guests that have been or have an affiliation with Mount Sinai or work for Mount Sinai is Dr. Yolanda Tun, also Jason Jackson, and Tamisha Frempong, all who have episodes on this podcast already. Next week, um, I have an old classmate of mine who is a hand surgeon and he works in Oregon. He is a great guy, and I'm just, again, just fortunate that he is on this podcast. Uh, he'll talk about his role as a hand surgeon, but also his non-traditional path of how he got into medical school. It's very interesting. He has a very, very interesting background. So hopefully you'll be able to tune in, and I look forward to serving you another wonderful podcast. Hopefully each podcast gets a little better each time. And just thank you for listening. You've been listening to Health Careers with Dr. Mark. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe to this podcast. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. And if you know someone who's thinking about their career, please tell them about this podcast, Health Careers with Dr. Mark. If you're already a subscriber, thank you. And please go to Apple Podcasts and rate us or leave us a review. It's a great way to let other people know about the show. Or you can go to our website at healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Through the website, you can subscribe to our email list, contact me, 
Let me know if there are any particular health careers that you'd like to hear about and provide any comments on how this can be a better podcast for you. I'm Dr. Richard Marn, and thanks for listening, and I hope you will tune in again. Thank you.